Welcome, everybody. And guess what? It's time for another podcast. And tonight's show, I can guarantee, is going to be very interesting. We're going to cross over maybe 20, 30 years of a friendship with a guy called Bob Evans. And uh, it seems even though he's passed on, he's still in our lives, even with the offer being in my life. <laughs> Pat Piccarelli is here with me, my co-author, partner, and everything How's we everybody? Do. Very good. How you doing, Johnny? Perfect, man. Perfect. All right. You know, and then also, uh, being that uh, Robert Evans has passed on, we could talk about him and he can't sue us. That's right. There you go. There's always an upside to this stuff. That's why we waited. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know, this, uh, this uh, show idea came from a listener about three weeks ago. That's great. Uh, That's why we want so them to know was, it. You know, it was Vinny, but I'm not sure. But the uh, the uh, listener sent an email and suggested that we do uh, a show on Robert Evans because there's really not that much about him. And you, Johnny, have a lot of experience with him. Oh, my God, do I ever. Oh, we're going to well, give out well, some I'm great going, tidbits tonight about it. Yeah, I tell you, you know, what, what I'm going to do is uh, start off with the research I, I, I normally do. Give the listeners and viewers now, because we're on YouTube, a little background on this guy, and then we'll uh, start to get into real life experiences here. But uh, Robert Evans, uh, Evans, pardon me, uh, was originally an actor. Uh, he uh, was spotted by uh, an old time movie actress named Norma Shearer, who back in the day did silent films and she transposed uh, to talkies. Uh, who thought he would be right to play the role of her late husband in The Man of a Thousand Faces. The Man of a Thousand Faces was the biopic of uh, Lon Chaney Sr. Uh, Lon Chaney Sr. Uh, did his own makeup. Uh, he was famous for doing uh, silent pictures. I don't think he ever did any talkies. But he, uh, he did the makeup for the silent version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And yeah, you know, I have to consider this was over a hundred years ago. Wow. Talking about the uh, the nineteen uh, teens and the early to mid nineteen twenties before we got uh, talking pictures. Yeah, so, I think Bobby to, died when he was like ninety one or ninety two, isn't it? How old? Uh, yeah. Bob Evans, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, he he was in that movie, uh, Man of a Thousand Faces. I, I saw it when I was a kid, and it was uh, it was a hit, and uh, Bob Evans was in it. Uh, but he realized, uh, in pretty short order, after doing quite a lot of acting, you know, we'll, we'll go through a couple of the movies he did, but uh, he decided that uh, he really didn't think he could act. And, uh, you know, I saw Man of a Thousand Faces a long time ago, so I don't remember what kind of a job he did. Right. But uh, he decided that he wanted to go uh, into behind-the-camera work. He became a producer. Now, a lot of people... You know, I'm maybe getting down to the basics here, but Gianni, you know more about this business than I do. Explain to our listeners exactly what a producer does. Well, producer basically is the guy who organizes it all. I mean, the money, the distribution, the writers, the directors, sits in on the cast. The producer does it all. 
executive producer okay. is the main guy. All right. So that's what Evans wanted to do. And uh, he had a meteoric rise in uh, the uh, producing game. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I mean, he just he started acting in 19 in the late 1950s. By 1962, he was the head of Paramount Pictures, uh, 1967, rather. Right. He was the head of Paramount Pictures. This was a fast rise. Well, that's Charlie Bluedo, and I know a little about that. Charlie really thought this guy was a genius. And uh, Paramount was in big trouble. They needed a movie. And he did a movie before The Godfather. That oh, he, was yeah, a big he, he hit. did. Uh, he, did, he did quite a few. I mean, I'm trying well, to find the one with Ali McGraw was the big hit for him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, he wound up, uh, wound up getting married to Ali McGraw. Yeah, I know. We're going to get into but, that, too. <laughs> yeah, he had seven wives, but we'll, we'll get into that later. This, this guy, didn't, he, he didn't date. He just got married. But anyway, uh, while he was there in Paramount, he uh, improved Paramount's fortunes greatly. And he got this reputation of being a boy genius. Yep. So at the time, he was only 37. And uh, to be in a position of the head of a major studio was a big deal. And not and only that, I mean, for the audience that don't know him, he was a good-looking guy. A, yeah. a great stature, great charisma, and um, very successful. Well, by 1974, he had a string of successful movies. Uh, toward the end of his career, uh, he started to produce flops, or what were uh, commercial flops. I liked both of them. One was The Cotton Club. And we'll get into that because there's a lot of intrigue behind that movie. Oh my God, Johnny yeah. knows a lot about this. And uh, the Chinatown sequel, uh, Bob Evans produced the original Chinatown, which was a classic. Uh, I I still watch it when it's on. I mean, you can see different uh, nuances and different things every time you watch that movie. But he couldn't leave well enough alone. and His career was sort of on a downslide, not due to his talent, but due to his uh, dabbling. I can't even say dabbling. He, uh, heavy, he cocaine. Heavy, <laughs> heavy cocaine. So he, he, he didn't did know the, where you know, he was most of the time. Yeah, when you start fooling with drugs, particularly coke, you're on an altered plane. And uh, he decided he was going to do a sequel to Chinatown. And th that's kind of hard to pull off. You know, usually a movie that gets such fantastic reviews like the first Godfather, if you're going to take a chance to do a second Godfather, well, that movie better be better than the first. Uh, which it was in, in the case of the, the, the Godfather. They were on equal planes. They both won Academy Awards for Best Picture. But uh, Evans did a movie called The Two Jakes. Jake was the main character in uh, in, in uh, the first uh, uh, first Chinatown. I saw The Two Jakes. Did you see it, Johnny? No, I haven't. And that's Jack Nicholson did both, right? Yeah, Jack Nicholson did both. This yeah. is a uh, sequel to uh, Chinatown. Right. Jack Nicholson, still a P.I., down in his luck. But he's still investigating corruption, and that's what the two Jakes was about. Uh, but I thought it was very good. I thought it was very subtle. I recall seeing it in the in, in the theater. Uh, uh, I thought it was really good. It you know, it's so funny you saying that. I went to the premiere with Jack Nicholson, Bobby Evans, and uh, he was dating um, what's an, uh, the great director Hudson's uh, no. Um, the daughter is, is crazy too. And, uh, oh, you're, you're you're talking about the guy who was in uh, the original Chinatown, right? I forgot his name. But anyway, and, anyway, he, and he's the director. But the, the the daughter, 
she we used to go to tango lessons at her club on Monday nights. We were all dancing the tango. They were all stoned. I was just there having fun with them all because, you know. Uh, oh, Houston, uh, what's her name? Um, Angelica Houston, isn't it? Angelica Houston, and, and, and her father was... Uh, John Houston. John Houston. John Maybe. Houston. Yeah. He was known for every... He was one of the, the Hollywood uh, icons of the golden age, acting, producing, directing, writing, everything. Right. He, and he was in the original Chinatown. He he played the old corrupt politician. Uh, it was just a phenomenal movie. But he's so uh, Robert Evans in, in his waning years started to, to produce real flops, and he had a, a track record also in addition to the two Jakes and the Cotton Club, uh, which were like I say critically acclaimed. The rest of his movies weren't. He did uh, Jade in nineteen ninety five. And uh, yeah, he was on the way out then. Yeah, and, I, and I, I never heard of Jade. I mean, I'm a movie buff, but I never heard of it. And uh, and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, 2003, was his final movie. I never heard of that either. <laughs> no, but you know, the interesting thing, I, I my, my history with him started in The Godfather. Then, you know, because of my relationship with Elvis Presley in the 60s, before I did The Godfather because of the Sinatra special, that we, uh, they invited me to do while I was getting involved in, as we mentioned in our book, Hollywood Godfather, with the Kennedys' election. So once John got the nomination, Democratic nomination, I had nothing to do. So they invited me down, I remember it well, in uh, December, and uh, Sinatra was hosting Welcoming Back Elvis Presley. Now, why I'm bringing that up, because Elvis Presley, later on, we became friends, and I opened a club in the Tropicana Hotel with Elvis. And unbeknownst to a lot of people, there were two brothers, Edward and Fred Domaney, who were heirs to such land. I mean, half of the Las Vegas Strip, his grandfather bought in the 50s and 60s, and I mean the 30s and 40s. Then they started developing it, and they they were they were I mean, they're both nice guys, and I got involved with them early on, prior even to The Godfather, because I created a company, a production company, Jet Set Productions, in Vegas, and they were my biggest benefactors. They they wanted to be in the movie business then, and they were coming to my parties every Monday night at my house on Las Vegas Country Club, and one night. We left my club in the trap to go there. And Bobby Evans was there to see them. I said, what is he here to see you for? He said, oh, we're going to do something with him. I said, oh, great. Long, you know, only to find out. They financed the Cotton Club after the Godfather. These two brothers put up all the money for the Cotton Club. And you'll see. How much of that went to drugs? Oh, my God, a lot of it. Well, we'll get into that, that whole way that went besides. But they, they uh, and these are two legitimate, nice Jewish boys, <laughs> never been in trouble in their life. Now, I think, I mean, I don't want to say because they're still alive, but I think they got caught up in a little of the, the, the action, the drugs and everything because, I mean, they had a, a one film hit, but I don't know if they ever got their money back. <laughs> well, you know, when all the money's going up people's noses, it's, it's, it's hard to recover that investment. 
Well, know? not only that, but you know, uh, Hollywood, you know, Hollywood mathematics as far as recouping your dollar back, they don't realize what the net dollar is in the studio. You're paying for every other flop besides. So the net to the company, by the time they get money to give to you, you better hope they have a string of Academy Award winners. So now I find well, Bobby Evans in my house after I did The Godfather, hanging out with them. He, you know, he caught the eye of a lot of uh, influential people in Hollywood, and I think a lot of it had to do with you know what you said when we first opened this up was he was a very good-looking guy, very charismatic, dressed well, and he just had the air of somebody who knew what what they were, were doing. Well, in 1957, uh, there was a, uh, an adaptation of Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. And uh, uh, Irving Thalberg, who ran Hollywood, I mean, the guy was huge, wanted Robert Evans to produce the picture. Not only did the co-star of the movie, Eva Gardner, not want him, but Ernest Hemingway didn't want him. Wow. Uh, but uh, against the wishes of th those two people, uh, he... he he produced that. He, he also appeared in 20th, 20th Century Fox's The Best of Everything, which I recall seeing. That was a big movie. Uh, Hope Lang, Diane Baker, Joan Crawford. So he was still acting when he was producing. But he was, like I said, dissatisfied with his own talent. So he was determined to become a producer. Now, he did a movie. He started out. His first movie was a movie called The Detective. Did you see that? No. I never saw it. I saw, the only movie I saw that I remember was getting... In, you know, in, involved with with, with uh, Chinatown, and then I went to the Cotton Club premiere because there was so much conversation well, about it. It was insane. The, the, this was a, a, a book which I read first before they even thought about it being a movie. This was a long time. This was the sixties. Uh, a guy named Roderick Thorpe wrote the book, and it was very controversial. It was about a New York City detective who handles a. Uh, uh, a, a, a suicide slash possible homicide of a wealthy businessman. And it was controversial because this was in the early 60s and the, the book had homosexual themes and a homosexual motive for the homicide. Oh, wow. And or suicide. Uh, you know, the book is still in print. Uh, so I don't want to ruin it for anybody who's gonna, uh, wants to read it. Phenomenal book. Sinatra heard about this book, read it, loved it, and demanded that he be in this picture. Uh, and he was. He was the detective in uh, which was which was the starring role in a movie by the same name called The Detective. And this was Robert Evans's first uh, producing job. So that was after, I think, after Here to Eternity of Sinatra? It must have uh, been. Yeah, 66. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, Here to Eternity was in the late 50s, right? Or 1960? I, I don't, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, no, this was, six, this was, this was after From Here to Eternity. But, you know, you got a huge name like like Frank Sinatra had won the Academy Award for From Here to Eternity, plus everything else Sinatra had going for him. That certainly helped push the movie along. I saw the movie. You, know, you always compare the book to the movie. Whatever you read and there's a movie, you always compare them both. And, of course, you know, you got you have a script that's maximum 120 pages compared to a 400-page book with right. all the nuances that go with it. So the book is usually a, a lot more drawn out explained a lot more plot and aside from that, I didn't think it was that good uh, but uh, Sinatra has a scene in there where he uh, like I said I don't want to give too much away but he confronts the suspect 
in what he considers a homicide. And the guy is uh, very gay. He's a, a, a Greenwich Village queen, so to speak. Wow. And, and, he's, and Sinatra did some of the best acting he's ever done. He's got this guy in an interrogation room, and he's talking to him and trying to make him confess. He's holding his hand. He's letting the guy literally cry on his shoulder. And the guy confesses. It was what a scene. Very powerful. So anyway, Evans gets propelled into the spotlight because of this uh, this movie. And enter Charles Blue Dorn. Oh, yeah, my man. And, 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 and heard about Bobby Evans and decided uh, he would make a, 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 a very good executive in, in, uh, in uh, Paramount. A, a year later, he was running Paramount. Well, Charlie Blue Dawn, just for our audience to understand, was never in the film business, yeah. and and he, you know, his company bought Paramount because it was down and out, and he came in to put in new money, and um, it, uh, and the first big film they did was The Godfather, that they find. Well, but they had they had other hits. I oh mean, no, yeah, cons- oh no, definitely. But the big movie that won all the Oscars and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, of awesome. Yeah, the, the Godfather it. is the the icon of you know movie making, right? And you attach your name to that, and you're bad. I've got to care what you do. You can film the phone book. And his public, <laughs> and you- his public trading company at that time was Gulf and Western. Yeah, and and that's when they changed the Paramount to owned by Gulf and Western. You know, there was a just just as an aside on the forty third floor of the Gulf and Western building was a cocktail lounge. You ever go up there? Of course. I used to live up there. No, I, I mean... I, I used to I, I used to date the hostess. Oh, wow. And oh, I was up there every, every Friday night. That was my first stop. And then you know, I was it's so funny you're bringing that up because to yeah. our audience, they don't realize that's Trump Plaza now. Yeah. And then when we did uh, with, with a guy that we... Uh, I spoke to yesterday, we're going to bring him up in, in this conversation and we'll end this show also. It was Brett Ratner because Brett Ratner, in that same building, did Tower Heist, where they they, they took the guys, uh, they robbed an actual Ferrari, a solid gold Ferrari, in the penthouse, and they put it in the pool on the roof. I mean, it was a great scene. But where you're talking about, that bar was in such an in action, man. You are so Let me say You know, you can sit at that bar and just look out the window overlooking Central Park. You get high just from that. Oh no! I mean, the amazing, view yeah. was phenomenal, and the people that came up there—I mean, it was—it was—it was always a party night. And the bartender, whose name I forgot, he was—he was Hispanic, big guy. But we became pretty good friends. And I mean, I'd, I'd walk in there, and uh, you know, I was like I said, that was my first stop. I used to hit other places, and I'd wind up in a place on Seventy Second Street. But after a while, I just hated to leave that place. <laughs> it was just oh. a, so comforting and so like oh, serene. Yeah. Like you said, when you look out that window, oh man, it's amazing. It, no. Anyway, so uh, uh, Bob Evans was virtually no experience in, in in the filmmaking business. Produces the following movies: Barefoot in the Park, The Odd Couple, Romeo and Juliet, Rosemary's Baby, The Italian Job, True Grit. Love Story. I mean, these were huge pictures. Oh, yeah. Harold and Maud, The Godfather, The Godfather 2, Serpico, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, which was taken from a Broadway play. Save the Tiger, The Conversation, with Gene Hackman was phenomenal. Chinatown and The Great Gatsby. He did all this with virtually no experience. 
Right. But you know what it is? He, he had the eye. Basically, if you're a good businessman and he was trained, you know, his father created Evans Pacone. So these kids, yeah. these kids were in the garment business for a while, him and his brother Charlie. And yeah. so, so they, they knew business. And that's all an executive producer does. He doesn't do the creative. He's not the director. He's not the screenplay. He's not casting anybody. He oversees it, but he organizes it. And he was a great organizer. And he had the look. I mean, he, and then a couple of hits, that's all you needed. I mean, it's crazy. A couple, yeah, he had a lot. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot. Anyway, uh, he, he decided, him and his brother co-produced Chinatown. But uh, he decided, and rightfully so, he was doing so well, why should he be working for Paramount? So he goes out on his own. And uh, then he produces on his own. Uh, Marathon Man. I've seen all these movies. Marathon Man, uh, Black Sunday, Popeye, and Urban Cowboy. Yep. Uh, all in the space of like three or four years, and they were huge hits. Uh, no, he had the Midas touch for a long time. Yeah, but I think it's a, but you know better about this than I do, but it seems looking at his film production schedule, about this time he really slacked off uh, making films. Well, you know, he made and, so much money, and and his his habit got stronger. That's that was my point. You do coke, you don't want to do anything but do coke, right? And uh, and and you know, and we, we have some people that are still alive that we can't talk about, but our audience could put two and two together. Some great directors who made major motion pictures, two, three, or four of them, that won Oscars. The amount of coke they were doing. They lost their short-term memory. Now, how could you direct the movie if you have no short-term <laughs> memory? <laughs> it's, it's and, and, and also, coming, coming down from a coke high, uh, uh, I spent a lot of time on a job, some undercover work, whatever. I mean, see, the next day, you can't function. You can't talk. You're in such a, a, a depressed state that you literally can't oh, it's function. Oh, depression? That happens? Depression now. isn't the word for it. I've seen these... I, I think I... Uh, I uh, mentioned this uh, story once on one of these shows, or maybe not. Correct me if I if I if I did. I knew a guy that was so. I mean, he was out on, on like a three day bender on coke, and that's something else. You don't sleep. You have uh, you have a choice of two things: do coke or sleep. But you don't do two, both of them at the same time. Also, you can't eat; kills your appetite. So this guy was on a three day bender, and he ran out of coke. You have to run out eventually. He got up the next day. I mean, I was with him at this party. Uh, the next day he got up, couldn't find any coke. He drank his own urine. I mean, that's insanity. Uh, well, that's the, you know, cocaine is not physically addicting. It's psych psychologically addicting. Once you start to come down, you can't handle it. You keep on going for more and more. And the more you use, the more it takes, like any other habit. You know, the, the first time you you you, uh, you drink, you have the first couple of drinks and you, you can feel it. And after doing that for a couple of years, it takes more and more and more and more. Like like any other bad habit. Well, but, I tell uh, you, I mean, I'm, I, I, and and you're you're a drinker. I'm a drinker. I never let any of this take me over. I mean, I, I'm, I we just got too strong of a constitution. So, to me, well, you have to control yourself too. You have to realize what your limits are. And well, a lot of what I'm guys, saying. Yeah, but I'm saying and women, they did not realize that. So after he has this huge strings, unprecedented, all the hits he had. And like I said, he had virtually no experience at the end of this long line of hits he did. But after 1980, his film output became less frequent because that's when he started getting involved with the blow. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and less critically acclaimed. He produced only two films over the next 12 years. And now we're getting to the Cotton Club and the two Jakes. Uh, but from 1993 to 2003, he produced uh, Sliver, a bomb, Jade, a bomb, The Phantom, likewise, The Saint, Terrible, and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, all bombs. How was, how was, so, who was in the cast? I never even heard of them. Were they, were they you know, a group, uh, Sliver, group? Sliver was, uh, what's the name? The uh, woman that was in Casino. Casino. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro's wife who played Robert De Niro's oh, wife. Oh, well, yeah, she was a good actress. What's her yeah. name? Jesus. Names. Anyway, yeah. uh, Jade, I don't know. Uh, the, the Phantom was taken from a comic book character. Uh, oh. And it was a bomb. I saw it. The Saint was a uh, mystery series uh, of books that was around for many years. The author was uh, Leslie Charteris. A huge hits. And they decided to adapt it as a film, and it sunk a lot like a rock. Uh, and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days I never heard of. Uh, and he did an animated series called The Kid Notorious nobody ever heard of. And in 2004, he's doing a, a serious uh, uh, radio show on serious satellite radio called In Bed with Robert Evans. Did he actually uh, host it from a bed? Yeah, no, he, when you used to come to his house, yeah. you'd find him in his bedroom. And you lay in bed with him. And you, I mean, <laughs> straight <laughs> guys. No, I tell you, you know, it's so funny because we had the guy on our, on our, on our show uh, who, you know, very close to me who wrote, you know, take the leave the gun, take the cannolis, Mark Shaw. And Mark yeah. Shaw is a great writer for, for um, Va um, Vanity Fair and everybody else. And when they went to do talk about that whole thing with him he met him up there and there's the, the butler walked him in and he said get in bed with me and, and yeah. <laughs> mark was a straight guy he, <laughs> said, he said i'll send the chair said, no lay in the bed i'm not in the chair i don't want to look that way that's how crazy he was and well then, that's he, also the, that's, that's the remnants of a kokai talk you don't want to move man well, well, I'm just, well. I, I mean, I, me, I wouldn't know what that meant. I've been up there so many times, and which is ironic because his son that he had with Ali McGraw started dating my daughter Gia, and I love Bobby Evans. I mean, he was so nuts. Ali McGraw is not a bad mother-in-law to have, you know. And that's how I'm looking at it. I say, wait, a minute, this could be good. Thank God, you know, the, the kid. I don't know anything about him. And I don't know if you looked up anything about Bob Evans' son. I never heard of the kid again. And no, he, well, we'll get to him. He, uh, he he wound up being a producer on his own. Oh, but good. That's when his, when his father was really too sick and too ill to do anything, the kid took over and did some movies. But like I said, we'll get into that. Bobby Evans was in pre-production, I don't know if you know this, for an HBO miniseries called The Devil and Sidney Korshak. Oh, wow. No, I didn't. Yeah, he uh, loves Sydney. I mean, Sydney. Well, Sydney was their rabbi, rabbi for all of these guys. He went, he went to the Cotton Club. Well, Sydney Korshak was Mister. His nickname was Mister Fix It. I met him early on. He was the first lawyer that Costello had me retain. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was like sixteen, seventeen, just about to go on the road to get 
JFK, Senator JFK, nominated. And he said, go to Chicago. He gave me an envelope. He's flying to Chicago. They're going to pick you up. The Ballesteri brothers picked me up, no less. I can't believe who, they became major, major mobsters and killers. There's nobody coming to get me. That's the, the music of the night in New York, that siren. <laughs> but with, These guys. So what happened was they picked me up. They take me to the Palmer house. I walk in, and here's Sidney Korshak. I didn't even know who he was. So he said, you have an envelope for me? I said, yeah. And he got the envelope. He read it. He takes out a pen. He says, sign here. I signed. And he signed. And he says, this is your copy. It's my copy. And there was like $10,000 new bills, which I just carried that kind of money Costello all the time. And he said to me, okay, now we could talk openly. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, now you just retain me as your attorney. So it's private, you know, privilege, client yeah. privilege. I mean, that's how smart they were. But I and, got to know this guy so well. And he owned, he owned the, one of the best restaurants in Beverly Hills. He owned Le Bistro. Which, oh, you owned oh, Le Bistro? I didn't know that. Yeah. In fact, they had a funny uh, story. Because he called Jasper and, and uh, Jimmy, who was running Le Bistro for him. He says, there's a kid going to come out there. And he'll be out frequently because I was meeting every, all the union people and everybody else, Mickey Cohen, to get JFK elected. You know, they had to get the union body behind them and all that. So I started going to the Bistro every day because I was sitting there when he said, never give him a bill. Let him just sign. So now I'm there and I'm there every, in and out because I was spending my weekends in Vegas and traveling everywhere I had to go on the West Coast for, for them. So he called me, which is the funny, this kind of humor he had. He said, before we start talking, he says, how much do you weigh now? I said, what? He said, how much do you weigh? I said, what does that have to do with anything? He said, will you answer my question? I said, okay, I, I told him. He said, but you have to weigh more than that. I said, why? He said, because of all the checks you're picking up at Le Bistro, you, <laughs> you got to weigh 500 pounds. I was, you know, picking up women. Oh, pick up, give me that check, give me this check. And I, I thought that was the you funniest know, thing. A <laughs> listener should know, I mean, that was 50 years ago. You're still dealing with Sidney Koshak. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I mean, Koshak is like the man. I mean, I was, I'm in his last book. And uh, no, you're talking about Slotnick. I'm the no, wit, well, wit, we're dealing with Barry Slotnick. Korshak is there. Well, I mean, you're dealing with uh, Korshak on some other level. I mean, you know this guy. You've stayed in touch with him since then. Well, Sidney Korshak is dead. Oh, I thought he was still around. No, Barry Slotnick is still around. That's All right, I'm I got, I got, I got to get Yeah, right. another powerhouse attorney. No, yeah, which, well, I, you know, I, yeah. Dealt with, uh, I dealt with Slotnick, too, back in the day. Well, the last, However, the last book with Korshak is called Super Mob. And it's a major hit, and it's written by Gus Russo, and have no relation to me. But I'm in like I don't know how many chapters. But uh, Korshak was the Mister Fix It, and he ran Hollywood, and Vegas. I mean, he was he was around. Steve Wynn right up to the end too. All of them. He was their rabbi. All right, we're we're at the point now where the uh, the Cotton Club comes into the picture. Should we take a break for a commercial? Well, let's see where we are. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Let's make some money. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We know where you live. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. 
Corleone Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com All right, we're back with an amazing story. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, now we get to the Cotton Club. You say, well, it's just another movie. Well, it just wasn't just another movie. Uh, Evans was introduced to a a theatrical mover and shaker uh, name of Roy Radin, R-A-D-I-N. He, uh, he produced uh, traveling musical and comedy reviews. He wanted to get into the movie business. Uh, he was introduced to Evans by a Coke dealer named Karen Greenberger. Uh, I know she that also name well. Of, she, she also went by the name of Lainey Jacobs. Oh, rep, so uh, Radden's trying to break into the, the, the movie industry. And uh, he brings up making a movie about a legendary nightclub. The Cotton Club was a real club. Oh, yeah. In Harlem. It, 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 it. it it was in Harlem, uh, uh, a high-end club, and it was a mixed crowd, whites, blacks, anybody really that, that could spend the money. But they had theatrical reviews, singers, I mean, top-shelf entertainment. Uh, well, and let's let's give a little backstory on that, too, because the Genovese family owned it. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, yeah, so when they told you to go up there, you went up, you there. Went up there. <laughs> <laughs> so they... Uh, uh, Raiden and Evans established a production company. Each would own 45% and the remaining 10% s- split between two other uh, lesser partners. So uh, Raiden offers uh, Greenberger, that's the Coke dealer, a $50,000 finder's fee for her efforts, but she thought that was unsatisfactory. And here's where the trouble started. As the, uh, the Cotton Club uh, financing was arranged, Raiden was only 33 was found uh, m- murdered. This was 1983. He got hit by a professional name of William Menser, uh, among four people sentenced to the shooting uh, of shooting Radner uh, multiple times and burying him in the in the desert. Uh, they wanted to make sure that the that the body was never found. So after they shot him four times in the head and the body, they blew him up with dynamite. <laughs> oh, well, you know, this is a movie. Forget no, but I, I remember this whole thing because the uh, the uh, the uh, Domaini brothers at that time were having heart attacks. Oh, they must have been because they just put up all the money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if they weren't drinking and using drugs by that time, this would have started them out. Uh, so at the trial, uh, Greenberger, the woman, the uh, coke dealer, was convicted of second degree murder and kidnapping. But uh, correct my my memory, I think by the time they went to trial. The Cotton Club was finished. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, it was done and ready to go. No, that's so why. Done, I, I, these are all pieces we need to do because I'm going to lay in some stuff on. That's why I want you to know. Okay, that. this was done. The killing was done as a backdrop. The movie is is continuing uh, forward, but the uh, the police are figuring that Raiden was killed because he only gave the person who gave him the idea the uh, go between the cutout, so to speak, fifty grand, which he was not happy with. Right. So uh, uh, the trial was deemed the Cotton Club murder trial. 
which I think helped the movie. Oh, I mean, well, can't it had hide, to, right? yeah. It built the intrigue. Okay, it, Evans uh, lawyered up right away. He gets Robert Shapiro, your buddy Robert Shapiro. Yeah, I know. Lawyer. <laughs> uh, Evans, on the advice of counsel, refused to testify at the preliminary hearing, invoking the Fifth Amendment, you know, to uh, uh, avoid self-incrimination. Uh, search warrants uh, submitted indicated that at least two witnesses said Evans was actively involved in the Raiden murder. So what do you know about this? Well, I mean, what happened was because of, they, they, I mean, they, they just, they concentrated on the murder and the $50,000. Yeah. The girl, whatever name she was using that day. You several. Yeah, she was the biggest drug supplier to all of them. They actually yeah. had a line item on the budget for her every day. It was what like did 10, they call 15, it? I don't know, maybe white snow. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but yeah. it was like ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, it had a lot of habits to feed. Well, but they I mean that's how crazy they were. And and now that's another problem that they had with the domainies. Because the FBI wanted to know how they were supplying and where were they getting the money they were getting it from the domainies. <laughs> These poor guys were like they couldn't believe they couldn't they wanted to get out of this business so fast it was ridiculous. Did they? Was that their last movie? Yeah. Oh they, <laughs> like, but they never got the money back even. You know well, it's hard to get money back from any picture, but particularly this. Every, everything went up everybody's nose. That's, that's the money's gone. But Charlie but he, but I'm talking the the movie was a great hit, so the box office they were making money after that. The production was over, yeah. So the money was coming in, but you know it's creative math with with the studios. You know you'll never get. They always zero out. Yeah. You know I'm I'm still reading about the movie Titanic, which was one of the biggest hits of all time, and they made no money. I know. According to the yeah. ledgers, they, they they zeroed out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Greenberger, the, the, the coke dealer, we'll call her Karen because that's what she called herself, she testified during the 1981 trial that Evans was not involved in the murder, and she also claimed during her trial that she and Evans were lovers. So, I mean, that that didn't help her argument that Evans wasn't involved because, you know... I know, what was that about? Yeah. What What's your opinion? Well, I mean, I, I, how did you... I mean, don't you have anything on Charlie, how Charlie got dragged into it, the brother? No. No. Oh, that's interesting. No, because they were they were looking at they were using Charlie as the scapegoat for a while. <laughs> yeah. Bobby Bobby was living in the Sherry Netherlands hotel where he had an apartment there forever. But Bobby really withdrew. And again, now when you're telling me of the habits of Coke and how the behavior is, I know I don't I mean I never did take anything and never did and never would want to. But I don't know I didn't know that you withdraw like that. But, oh, I've seen suicides. Wow. But to me... I, I, I responded to... Uh, when I worked in the 24th Precinct, half of it is like the Black Hole of Calcutta, and the south half is a high-end, high high-rent district, Central Park West, anything south of 86th Street. And we would get the occasional uh, uh, body from a wealthy family. Husband blows their brains out, jumps off a building. It all had to do with coke, withdrawals, coke. Wow. You couldn't handle it. Yeah, the, 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 I understand the, the, the depression. It, cocaine increases a substance in your brain called dopamine. 
And that's what gives you the euphoria. But it also uh, raises the uh, level to an artificial uh, point where when you run out of coke, your your uh, artificially built up dopamine drops down to virtually zero. And the body can't handle that. You get the shakes, you cry. I mean, I've seen I just a horrible thing. I'm so glad. I mean, uh, that wow. my kids never got involved in. A lot of people around here did the horrible thing. But uh, uh, Evans eventually, Evans had a had a quote. He beat that charge. You know, I mean, it was he wasn't involved in anything, and he walked away. Robert Shapiro gave him the right advice: keep your mouth shut. Right. You know, right. Uh, uh, somebody once told me he. You never get in any trouble by keeping your mouth shut. They're absolutely right. You know, don't say a word. Anyway, Evans once said, and this is a quote, I had 10 years of a horrific life. There were nights I cried myself to sleep. And there's the quote for you. Yeah. You know, 10 years of it. Evans was convicted of cocaine trafficking in 1980. He pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor in federal court. A trafficking means you're selling it on a high level and he he cops out to a misdemeanor i do that too whether i was did if i didn't do anything i cop out to a misdemeanor uh uh he cops out after being arrested for engineering a large cocaine buy with his brother yeah this is what charlie comes in yeah as part of his uh, as part of his plea bargain robert evans had to film an anti-drug tv commercial this guy got away with murder Literally. Uh, uh, the uh, misdemeanor charge was uh, eventually wiped from his record, so he had no criminal record. Right. And uh, he uh, he came out smelling like a rose. Where, where did they that, try that case? In the West Coast or here in New York? You know, it didn't say. It just said it was a, it was a federal charge. It sounds like I would think the sounds, West Coast. I would think so. <laughs> the way the, the the outcome was, it's got to be the West Coast. Okay, the, the he he did an interview with the federal the Philadelphia Inquirer in 1994, and he was known in the article as Bob Cocaine Evans, and he said, "This is how I'll be known to my grave." He argues that he never should have been convicted of a federal selling and distribution charges, as he was only a user. And he was never convicted of a felony or using charges. He, he copped out. He was charged with it. Uh, but they, you can say anything. Did a plea deal. Yeah. That's uh, crazy. And you know who owned the, you know who owned the Philadelphia Inquirer? No. Who financed it? Frank Costello. And that was for uh, Pope, uh, Eugene Pope. Eugene Pope whose father was a, a, a philanthropist, a philanthropist, but he created yeah. all the inquirers, and they got the unions. I mean, it was amazing, that that whole story. I mean, Man, we, that's good. Costello was involved in everything. Oh, yeah. He, well, he was the guy up here. Hello. So as, as far as ever as his personal life, we'll get away from his, uh, his professional life, because by the early 2000s, it's on the wane. He's, his health is, is, is uh, deteriorating. It's like I said, you do coke or you eat. You don't do both. And it just eats you up alive. Anyway, Evans was married seven times uh, to some actresses who people may not recognize. Uh, Sharon uh, Huguenet in 1961. He stayed with her until 1962. That was one of his longer relationships. <laughs> uh, he, subsequently, he married uh, Camilla Spar, 64 to 67. Ali McGraw, 69 to 73. Phyllis George, who was a former Miss America. Yeah, I remember her, yeah. And there was another one, uh, 1977 to 1978. 
then he marries Catherine Oxenberg, who was a big actress. I remember her too. That marriage, that marriage lasted nine days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nine days, and uh, Oxenberg got it uh, annulled. You sure? He, he must have put it. He must have put his best foot forward, and then when she moved in, she realized who he was. Who she was. Well, you know with. why they got it, got it annulled because he never consummated it. <laughs> yeah, that's another Hello. thing. Cocaine, though. Hello. Hello. Anyway, he was married to his seventh wife, Victoria White O'Gara, the widow of Lord White, whoever he was, while he was in uh, Mexico. In August 2005, shortly after his 75th birthday, he filed for divorce in 2006. Uh, he, he, now, here's his son, uh, Josh Evans. Yeah, that uh, was Josh. That was his name, yeah. Yeah, from Ali McGraw. Right. Uh, Ali McGraw's mother. He was also a film producer, and... Uh, I gave his father a uh, a grandson, Jackson, born in 2010, uh, uh, to singer uh, uh, Roxy Saint, whoever she was. Evans' brother, Charles Evans, who passed away in 2007, who business included clothing, real estate, uh, and promoting fire detectors, was also a film producer. Now, he did Tootsie, huge, huge moneymaker. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Monkey Shines, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah. His nephew, Charles Evans Jr., is a documentary producer. His sister, Alice, did you know her? Alice Shure? No. S-A-Q-R-E? Was an associate producer of Without a Trace, which was a TV uh, series. Has produced other films and founded documentary film production companies. His nephew, uh, Evans' nephew, um, uh, Michael Shure, is a senior national correspondent for a uh, 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 news uh, show. His other nephew, uh, Tony, was the founder of a uh, creative salad company. How many kids did they have? Jesus. You named them I five think you kids. Have, you know, if there were more, he mentions here about four or five somewhere. He's married seven times. Who knows how many kids this guy even had? Who knows how many kids he didn't know he had? Well, I don't know. I don't know if he had produced any kids out of those marriages other than with Ali McGraw. Yeah, uh, seven. No, None the, of the marriages, last, I'm the, talking about kids. He had no kids. No kids, yeah. No. They just uh, mentioned, uh, Char uh, they mentioned uh, Charles Evans. Oh, that was his nephew. Yeah. Uh, just his son, uh, Josh. That's all they mentioned. Yeah. Evans' son, they don't mention anymore, come to think of it. Nothing. Yeah. So anyway, in uh, 1986, uh, 1998, rather, May 6, 1998, uh, he's invited to a, a dinner party uh, in honor of Wes Craven, who was a horror producer, uh, guy he does yeah, epic that. horror movies he's still working evans suffered a stroke while giving the toast <laughs> and he was rushed to uh, uh cedars mount sinai uh evans flatlined in the ambulance but was resuscitated he suffered a series of quick of three quick strokes while he was in the hospital wow he was left paralyzed on his right side unable to speak during his hospital stay he was encouraged by media mogul and friend sumner redstone oh yeah this sure. guy was this guy was the character Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, some of them, they, look who did, he, he took over Paramount. He was in his 90s. He was going out with 20-year-old women. Anyway, uh, Sumner Redstone was a good friend of his, and he stayed at his bedside. And here's an interesting factoid. Uh, he helped, uh, Redstone helped uh, Bob Evans uh, try to regain his speech, but Evans had the attitude, but he didn't, he, he didn't care. He was getting slammed with these strokes. He was suffering from withdrawals of cocaine for so many years. A few days after Evans' stroke while he's in the hospital, Frank Sinatra dies from a heart attack in one of the adjoining rooms to Bob Evans at uh, Cedars Mount Sinai. Right. Evans saw Sinatra's body being taken away, and Evans 
cited this event as what made him have the desire to recover when he saw Sinatra's body being carted away. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it just it just affected him so much. I never heard that. That's in, I, I mean, yeah, great, Evans for me, that's really a good, good omen for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, Sinatra did somebody a favor at the very end. And so when, anyway, when, 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 did, when, when did he do the book, The Kid Stays in the Picture? Because I, I was a part of that. In fact, Brett, Brett well, Ratner and I, I went to the, all, the, all the openings for that. Everything well, I everything I read doesn't even mention the book. Uh, or perhaps I accidentally deleted it, but Evans eventually began his ability to talk and return to producing from 19, to 2013. Uh, he relied on a cane for shorter walks and had limited uh, mobility. So he, had di- he died in Beverly Hills uh, in 2019 at the age of 89. I think uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture was the early 2000s. And yeah, was, uh, yeah, it must have been because I mean that that book and that movie was amazing. No, we, and it was a big hit. Oh, the, the no, book knew, sold. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, it was a bestseller. Yeah, yeah I, I understand. I, I didn't read it, but I understand he was brutally honest in it. Yep, about himself. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Yep, yep, yep. yeah. Because he, he knew he was going. I tell you, the, I saw pictures of him while I was doing this research, and as a young man, this guy was an Adonis. I mean, he was a very oh my god, guy. forget about it. Yeah. He aged very, very quickly. He'd walk into uh, a well, the Coke. He walked yeah. into a room and he was statuous. People just turned, men and women, wanted to know who he was. Yeah, somebody, I, I, I saw a quote. Uh, so when he, he walked in the room, it was like the air was sucked out of him. Yeah, well, that's uh, one. People would just gravitated toward him. Yeah. And, I, and of course, it helped. I mean, you go back to his uh, being the, uh, made the head of Paramount. Uh, and at such a young age, he was in his 30s, right. given the opportunity to produce all, all these pictures. A lot of it had to do with his charisma, because oh, he no, knew nothing. It's all about that. Yeah. I mean, his charisma, and you, you take like a guy like Sinatra, who really wasn't good looking, his charisma overpowered him, being the short man, yeah. whatever. I mean, there was so many guys like that. I mean, like uh, Bill Clinton, his charisma is so, I've been around so many guys that have that charisma, it's amazing to me. And, and, and women are magnitude to them. I mean, it's like crazy. You, you know, somebody once told me, and I, I believe it, an ounce of image is worth a pound of performance. I, I, you know, I, I, I uh, people who, you know, it's just a, maybe not a, a politically correct thing to say, but it's a truism. Good looking people do better in life in this country. People look at looks first and they, 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 they build well, they're, they're, they're very people. shallow about it. I, I, yeah, well, I, I've used it. The little looks I've had, I've capitalized on it. <laughs> <laughs> you're still, and still, you're, you're still beating them up. I know. You, uh, yeah, we, we one day we're going to have uh, uh, we're going to have a show on Gianni Russo's private life. Oh no, uh, Gianni Russo! Gianni Russo will not be invited to partake in the show. <laughs> we'll, we'll just talk about him. Okay. <laughs> so all we're going to do. But anyway, you know, it, it does it does help to have that uh, initial magnetism and people. Yeah. tend to overlook flaws because you look good and you dress well. Right, right. Well, I, I tried to use everything in my, my 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 power, so I, I bought more clothes and more jewelry and just... <laughs> yeah, you, do, do whatever you can do to, yeah, you know, to it's, stay it's on it's top. A distraction. <laughs> you know, when I was trying to fake my way through the police academy, uh, I was on the street for a long time, and they offered uh, a position at police academy as an instructor. Uh, and I think I can use a couple of years off the street, but you had to have a college education. I, I, I told them I did, and I didn't, uh, and they believed me because I walked in there 
dressed dressed to the nines, looking good, not like a typical police officer. Right. You know, shoes give cops away. I, I always said that they they wear the same shoes at work as they do when they're shoes not give working. most people away. Yeah, it's the first thing I notice, and I learned this a long time ago: is shoes. Yeah, and you can always create some kind of an idea about how a person comports themselves and what they think of themselves. See, uh, if I if shoes. I saw the way you dressed, I would think you were on the take. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, you have to spend your money on something. With me, it's, it's, it's clothes and cars. That's, that's just my weaknesses. That's the weaknesses I can speak about. So but, who, you know, who, who was the person that brought up the show? We should comment to them. They were really, this was a really good show. Well, I don't, I don't know, but this was about three weeks ago. And uh, I, it's, the same, it's the same show where this guy told us about Bobby Evans. Another guy told us, uh, uh, talked about uh, having a show about uh, Las Vegas markers, which we did. Well, uh, hopefully he, he's uh, listening and can send us another email and thanking us for doing the show. We really want to thank you personally, actually. Yeah, you know, we've said this numerous times. Uh, you, want, you want to hear about something that, you know, you, you can read about, but you don't get the inside story about. I and mean, I do the research part. Uh, Johnny lived a lot of this stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll look at it. In fact, I was reading the emails, which we have no time to do tonight, but... Uh, there's a question there, which we'll get to next week, about uh, why don't you guys do a show on Willie Moretti? Whoa. That's going Fascinating in, guy. Going Fascinating back into history. <laughs> you know, talk about a guy who who, uh, who talked himself to death. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we will, we'll read the email uh, the next time we do an email. Show him maybe next week or whatever. And uh, you'll see this guy ask about Willie Moretti. We will do a show on Willie Moretti, who was a, who was a gangster. Oh, yeah. And a, uh, a violent gangster who had problems and he paid the price, but a very interesting uh, life he had. But anyway, unless you have something to add that about wraps up Bobby Evans. No, I think it was a great show and Bobby Evans deserves all the accolades because he, he was a young boy genius in the production film and business. I mean, he was very good. I mean, the guy knows they know. Well, at the end, at the end, I mean, he wasn't working. He, he had his, Paid up home in Beverly Hills. Oh my God! What a mansion that was and, up on the hill. And uh, we'll assume he died in bed because he never got out of bed. Yep. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Thank you for the cards and letters. Keep them coming. You know now you could see us on uh, Spotify. What are we on? Uh, we are on Spotify. We are on iTunes, and we just debuted on uh, YouTube. We have our own channel now. Yeah. So. You can look at us now if you want to to see how we're aging, <laughs> or, or or you could just listen to us and 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 put an umbrella over your screen if you don't there want you to go. look at us or something. You know. It's... All right, Pat. Well, thank you again, my friend. Oh, my pleasure. I had a good time. No, I, I learned I learned a lot of stuff. I, I like learning stuff. Me too. All right. Woo! Good night, everybody. Be safe. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me Thank you for I'll tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. 
Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.